Okay, we're going to look at a passage in the Bible which teaches a doctrine that is really hard to understand and hard to grasp. And yet, I'll say for myself that it's pretty well the most comforting and incredible doctrine in the whole Bible. Um, Now, not everyone will see it that way. We're going to look at Ephesians, and it's talking about... Um, predestination. You say, well, how does, how does that work? How, how can that be comforting? I was thinking about how to introduce this. It's really difficult. I wanted, if you get a chance, um, this sounds rather strange, but Google Bill Bailey on the Ukrainian hunting spider, and you will get a, a, a discourse there where Bill Bailey does something fantastic, where in the, I don't know how he ends up talking, he talks about acts of gods and insurance and Ukrainian hunting spiders, Um, don't ask, just look at it, and then has a discussion on free will and determinism, which is absolutely brilliant. It's about the best thing. Um, As an introduction, it's it's great. But for us, I think um, we struggle with trying to understand what the Bible says and trying to apply it, and we have a natural inclination to say, no, that can't be right. And I think we get ourselves in a lot of problems, because here's where we're at, and, and If you're a visitor to the church, let me explain what our philosophy is here. We do believe that God speaks to us, and we believe that He speaks to us through His Word. We believe that the Bible contains many things that are difficult and are hard to understand, as uh, Peter says about the writings of Paul, but it contains everything that's clear and needed for our salvation. And it's also the means, it's so incredibly written and inspired by God that When we read in Ephesians, it's not just that God was speaking to the people in a church in Ephesus in Turkey 2,000 years ago. He's also speaking to us here in 2011 in St. Peter's in in Dundee and throughout the world for people who, who read and look at this. And so what we do, first of all, is we come to the Bible, I hope, with an attitude of humility, which says we don't know it all, we don't understand it all, but we want God to speak to us. And we may have presuppositions, we may have questions, we may have lots of different things, but all of them is we just say, well, Lord, you speak because we are listening. So let me read from Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read from the beginning, but we're going to look from verses 3 to verse 6. It's on page 1173 of the Pew Bible. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then these words, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word, and we ask that you would help us to humbly listen, to acknowledge when we do not know, and to trust you absolutely that what you tell us we will believe and we will act upon, and we will be reassured by. For we ask it in your name. Amen. 
Now, the question arises as to why you are a Christian, if you are a Christian. Uh, the question also arises of why you're not a Christian. The question arises, why are you here? Is, is anything a, a, an accident? I was preaching in London last Sunday morning, and afterwards, I didn't mention this at all, but a man came up to me, and he was like an uber-hyper-Calvinist. Now, you may not know what that is. You never want to meet one in the dark. They, <laughs> he, was, he was really quite incredible. He came up, and he started telling me that nobody was responsible for any of their actions, that everything had been predetermined and so on and so on. And I said to him, and I shouldn't have said this, but he was really beginning to annoy me. I said, so if I hit you just now, I'm not responsible. It's been preordained that I give you a Glasgow kiss or something. And he, he said, no, but, and he just kept going around and he was doing my head in. Now, I hope that what I, I teach here won't do your head in, because I think he had a great misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches. Now, in reaction to that, you very often get the opposite extreme, where people say, well, we know that the Bible says this, but we don't like it, and it can't really mean it. And I'm just going to go through these verses and teach what they teach, and I hope that you will see how they apply to your life. It, it helps in context to realize that this is what the Ephesians would have understood as a synagogue blessing, what in Hebrew is called the Baraka. The, it's kind of hymnic, it's kind of poetic. Verses 3 to 14 are actually one long sentence, and the beginning of that sentence is a blessing. And what Paul is doing here is he's, he's praying a blessing on the congregation. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us. And it is a, a response of praise. It has color. It has movement. It has grandeur. He's blessing God for giving us every blessing. And we'll see what those are. Now, if you are a Christian, these are yours. If you are not a Christian, they can be yours. So let's look at them. First of all, you'll notice that it's the triune God who blesses us. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Every spiritual blessing comes from this God. So he begins, first of all, with the Father, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. God the Father is the source of every blessing which we enjoy. I've quoted several times because I, 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 it's one of the most amazing things I've heard this year. Russell Brand saying, why should we go to the shadow on the wall when we can go to the source of light itself? The source of all things good. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. It, it, it's the source of all things good come from God. So it's right to thank God for the beautiful weather. It's right to thank God for the rain. It's right to thank God for the food. It's right to thank God for the children. It's right to thank God for all the things that come from him. He is the source. He blesses us. He chooses us. He freely bestows on us his grace. It is not an accident. It is not impersonal. It is not luck of the drawer. It is not the lottery of life. It is God who gives us every single blessing. And today is Father's Day, and personally, I'm not over keen on all these kind of days, because in my view, every day should be Father's Day and so on, but that's not how it works, is it? But, um, and, and a day like today when it's Father's Day, it, it's good. I think it's really good just to think about your own father, 
dead or alive, and if you can, and in some circumstances, there are people who can't because they've ended up in a situation where their father was abusive or harmful. But for most people, we can look and we can say, well, I thank God for my father. And I think that we we find ourselves in a situation that uh, we need to sometimes stop and in the words of the old hymn, count our blessings. It is very easy for us to recite our moans. You know the kind of person who you really do not like talking to, who when you ask them, how are they, you never make that mistake twice because they're going to tell you every single woe under the sun about what is miserable about their life and everything else. Now, yes, it's good that you can have people that we can share things with and everything's not always great and there's a lot of difficulties. But what we need to learn in our lives is to be grateful for what we have received. And ultimately, we are grateful to God, the Father. He is the source of every blessing. But Paul goes on. He says that it is in Christ. Every, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Jesus Christ is mentioned 14 times in this one sentence. In Christ, in the one he loves. He chose us in him. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. He purposed in Christ, in him, we were also chosen, and so on. Every blessing that we receive doesn't just come from God the Father, but it comes in Christ. Ernest Kevin puts it this way. It's as though there's a small brick called perseverance, and inside there's a larger brick called sanctification, because Paul speaks about these things. Then inside there's another brick, adoption. Then another one, justification. Then another one, called Christ. And as he was giving that story, Kevin says that a wee boy put his hand up and said, please, sir, it's all in Christ. And that's it. We are included in Christ. When it's spoken of Christ, it's spoken of us. Now, the phrase in Christ is a really difficult one for us to grasp what it means. And loads and loads of books have been written on it. But I I kind of like it in this way, in a very simplistic, in a very, very simple way. It's simply saying that when God looks at Jesus and is pleased with Jesus, I'm in him. I'm there. It means that when God blesses, God the Father blesses Jesus, that I'm in Christ. It means that as a Christian, instead of God looking upon me with all my sin and all the difficulties and problems that are there, he looks upon me as though, because I am, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And it's a really hard thing to grasp. But when we read in the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What's being said is this, is God loved his son Jesus so much, that he, so loved the world rather, that he gave his son, who is the, the object of his affection, the Trinity is love, because God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit live in that community of love. But God gave up his son so that we could join in, so that we could be in Christ. Now, as we go through Ephesians, we'll find more and more what that means. But if you were to ask, what's the greatest blessing of being a Christian? It's just simply saying, I'm in Christ. When I spoke about this last week, I said we needed to look at this, this book because in our own congregation and in our world and in what's going on in Scotland and in the church in general, we need to work out what's our identity 
And I said last week, is our identity that we belong to this church, or we belong to the Free Church, or the Church of Scotland, or that we're male or female, or that we're heterosexual or homosexual, or is it our jobs? What is our identity? Our society keeps wanting to tell us that our identity is in our sexuality, or our identity is in um, what we have, or our work, and so on. But Paul tells us, God tells us, your identity is in relation to Christ. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. And every blessing we receive is in Christ. And every blessing is of the Spirit. It is spiritual, every spiritual blessing. Now, again, we misunderstand that because you go home, you have your food, you have your roast chicken or whatever it is, that's a physical blessing. You're in church praying, it's a spiritual blessing. External, physical, internal, spiritual. That's not what is being meant here. It's not what is being spoken of. Spiritual here just means of the Holy Spirit. We get material gifts. We certainly do. Every good and perfect gift is from above. But the stress here is on what the Holy Spirit brings to us. God's law written in our hearts by the Spirit. A personal knowledge of God. The forgiveness of our sins. Being a Christian is not about passing an exam in theology. Being a Christian is not about working yourself to death, trying to get God to approve who you are. Being a Christian is having God's Holy Spirit so working in your life that when you hear the Bible, it's God speaking to you. That when the devil accuses you, you can stand against that. The stress is on the Spirit working in our life. In the heavenly realms, he says, what does that mean? That is a a phrase that's used five times in Ephesians. Nowhere else in Paul's letter. It doesn't mean up there in the sky. It means the unseen world of spiritual reality. There is a seen world. This is a building. These are people you see. There's, there's the chemical world. But there's a world that we do not see. That is a spiritual world. And somehow this is saying that we are presented to Christ in the heavenly realms. We are protected in this spiritual world. Every blessing is of the Spirit. Now, for Christians, we have a great advantage. We enjoy the material blessings as much as anyone else, and perhaps we might enjoy them even more because we know their purpose. But we have received so much more. The triune God blessing blesses us. Then there's the blessing of predestination. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Why do some people receive these blessings and some do not? Paul tells us very simply, God chose us. In him, before the creation of the world, so it's before we'd done anything, in that condition before the world existed, God did something. God had a purpose. You know, we're talking about, um, it seems like every Sunday, we're talking about people becoming pregnant. And uh, sometimes you'll hear someone say to a child, before you were even a glint in your father's eye. Um, even with all our designer technology and so on, people wanting to choose babies with a particular color of hair and so on. We don't choose our children. We don't. But this is an extraordinary thing. It is saying that God, who is different 
who's almighty and all-powerful, before the world began, chose you to be a believer, to follow Jesus Christ. It is an astonishing, it is an unbelievable, it is incredible thought and idea which has enormous implications. God put us and Christ together in his mind. It's not as though God created the world and then went, oh, dash it, it's gone wrong. I'll need to get a a rescue plan. God knew. Now, why did God allow it? That's another question. Well, I'm saying we can discuss this, and people do discuss this forever. Um, But God knew. God was not taken by surprise. Right from the very beginning, the devil was told, or the woman was promised, that the seed of the woman will crush the heel of the serpent. That there is a promise of a coming Savior. Jesus coming into this world is not an afterthought. And you being a Christian is not an emergency measure that God decided to do eventually when things got pretty desperate. He determined to make us who did not yet exist his children through the redeeming work of Christ, which had not yet happened. Well, that creates a problem, as I say, for lots of people. Some people say, well, didn't I choose God? Yes, you did, but you chose him because he chose you. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. But then some people say, okay, that sounds a little bit unfair, though. Didn't God choose me because he knew I would choose him? But then the problem is the basis of salvation is not God, but yourself. And that's not what the Bible states. But then there's another problem. You think, doesn't that mean that God doesn't treat everyone alike? But you have that problem, whatever. Because if you believe all blessings come from God, we have situations in the world. Not everyone is alike. Not everyone is in the same situation. See, what's your alternative to this? I listened to a program, because I like these kind of programs. It's a program called Philosophy Bites. And uh, now, because of the advances in neuroscience, a huge number of um, philosophers, psychiatrists, politicians, are getting to a stage where they are complete determinists. What do we mean by that? They believe that our genetic makeup controls everything so much so that ultimately we end up being responsible for nothing. And in this particular program, the man who was advocating it said, gave an example of a man who became a pedophile and his wife was so shocked and she called the police and he was taken away and then they did a a brain scan on him. They found a massive brain tumor. They took the tumor away and he became normal again. And then he went back to being a pedophile and they found again that there was some of the cancerous growth had been left and they took that away and then he was normal again. And um, the man who's being interviewed said, um, doesn't this kind of suggest that everything is just determined by a mental, physical condition caused by chemistry? And the implications of that were pointed out to somebody or pointed out to him uh, by the panel who were there and they said, that would mean that Adolf Hitler is not blame. Uh, you can't blame Adolf Hitler, and it also means you can't blame pedophiles, and you can't blame bad fathers. And, you can't, and the answer was to that was yes. It's just the way we are made. Now it's an incredibly dangerous, dangerous teaching. I can't help it. It's just the way that I am. Imagine you've got a, you know, four-year-old child, and they're just running riot, screaming and yelling. But they're smart enough to know that when you begin to give them a row, you just say, "I can't help it. It's the way I am." It's the way God made me. And that's used of everything. 
Well, the Bible does an extraordinary thing. And I don't think that in, in, in all the philosophies of this world, anyone does this. The Bible holds up two things which appear to be contradictory, but I believe ultimately are not, though I personally can't put them together. It holds up God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And I think that what goes on here is that God gives human beings free will at least sufficient so that we are responsible for what we do. When, uh, if I had last Sunday, uh, had actually hit this man, uh, the defense, as I was taken away to the police, would, could not have been before the court, well, God made me do it, or anything like that. I have a responsibility for it. I can argue I was provoked. I could argue it's my genetic makeup. I could argue it was the circumstances. I could argue I was just making an argument, physically, a kind of point. But it still wouldn't matter. I'd still be held responsible, and rightly so. The Bible teaches absolutely that we as human beings are responsible. God commands all men everywhere to repent. We are responsible for what we do with that command. We are responsible for what we do with God's creation. We're responsible for what we do with our children. We're responsible for what we do with our bodies. We can't just turn around and say, it's not my fault, it wasn't me, it's my genes. We can't say that. We can acknowledge that we are influenced by our environment. We acknowledge that our genetic makeup has a big part in our lives. But one of the essential things about being human and why Christianity is more about humanity than any form of secular philosophy and is more human than secular humanism is just simply because we believe that every human being is made in the image of God, is creative, and is responsible for our own moral actions. But we get things wrong. And if we are left to ourselves, we have this twist within us which will always turn us away from God. And what the Bible is teaching is that God actually chooses to save some people from that, despite themselves, not because of their goodness, but in spite of what they perceive to be goodness. Now, the point about it in here is that God's choice is not based upon immediate circumstances. It's based upon God's nature. In other words, when we say, when I say as a Christian, God has chosen me, when I say, if you are a Christian, God has chosen you, it is not because of my qualities, my character, my depth of belief, my faith, nor is it because of yours. It is because of God's love, God's purpose, God's justice, God's plans. In love, it says, he predestined us. In love, he predestined us. Now, you take that doctrine, difficult as it is, and contrast it with the doctrine of the neuroscientist saying, it's just the way things are, and there's nothing that you can do, and love doesn't come into it, except as a chemical predetermined reaction, I know which one I prefer. This is a, now, this teaching runs through the whole scripture, and if you pull out of this teaching and say, I'm not going to accept it, then you're going to miss out so much in terms of the Bible. Um, let me just give you some of the verses. First Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Exodus 19 verse 4, 
You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Though the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Calvin, speaking about this, says, Although we cannot conceive either by argument or reason how God has elected us before the creation of the world, yet we know it by his declaring it to us and experiences uh, vouches for it sufficiently when we are enlightened in the faith. What are we chosen for then? I'm saying God chooses us, and he chooses us because he wants to. Why? Just a couple of things. Firstly, to be holy. He chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. Blameless is the Old Testament word for the unblemished sacrifice that was offered to God. Holiness is the purpose of our being chosen. Not incidentally, salvation. Salvation is part of that, but it's, it's, we're chosen to reflect God, to be like God, to be in Christ. At two levels, there's a negative and a positive. The negative is the removal of evil. God chooses to remove the evil. And the positive is that we learn to be like God and to love. There's a moral separation. There's an active love. And what that means is that we're chosen, it means we have to be humble. What could I have deserved? What could you have deserved before the world even began? But God didn't choose us because we were worthy of being chosen. God isn't the kid in the playground who's picking a team and says, I want you, 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 and you, because I like you, and because you're better at football, and because you're this, and because you're that. That's not how God chooses. God chooses for a purpose not because of our character. It is God's grace, God's love, God's will, God's purpose, God's choice. And verse 6 tells us it's adoption. Or rather, verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. In Roman law, adopted children had the same rights as natural children. In Hebrew law, it was largely unknown. It was actually usually adults who were adopted if the Uh, a rich person had no heir. John 1 verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. If you're a child and you find that you've been adopted, that your parents are not your natural parents, sometimes people treat that as a stigma in quite a negative way. But I remember hearing somebody say this, and I thought it was wonderful that their adoptive father said to them, you know, you're very special because we chose you. And it just changed his whole perception about the whole thing. I think that that's where we're at in terms of uh, being a Christian. A Christian is someone who calls God their father. Why do we behave differently? Because we take on the family likeness. How do we pray? We pray to our father in heaven. Why should we not worry about material things? Because our heavenly father will provide. Adoption is not a reward for a holy living. It's not God saying, okay, if you live like this, if you're really holy, if you do really good things, then you'll get to a point where I'll sign the papers and you get into heaven. Adoption is God accepting wrongdoers. It's God accepting failures, God accepting rebels, God accepting sinners. Because here's the problem. Some of us, are moralists who think that we're quite good and God's going to accept us anyway. 
But when you really begin to grasp what the Bible says and who God is, then you fall into the position of so many other people who say, how could God possibly accept me? You know, if you've got an image problem, if you think I'm fat and I'm ugly and I've always been rejected and no one likes me and, you know, why would God? These people who are sinners don't accept me. Why would God accept me? And so we try really hard to be accepted by God and God says, no, wait, that's not how it works. I'm adopting you. I'm choosing you. Not because you're beautiful. Not because I need all your talents and skills. Not because I see you've got this marvelous face faith. I'm just doing it because I love you. And we are accepted on that basis. Each day, we end our lives stained with sin. Does God turn his back on us? Absolutely not. He always welcomes us. We are always accepted, like the parable of the prodigal son, the father throwing his arms around us and treating us like his children. Why is that possible? Because it's done in Christ, because it's done in the beloved or in the loved one. It's what Christ has done for us that makes this absolutely possible. And that's why he says at the end that this is to the praise of God's grace. It's to the praise of God's grace. Why are you here? Because of God's grace. Why why are you hearing this word right now? Because of God's grace. Because God has appointed you to hear this word. Because God has chosen you to hear this word. It's not coincidence. It's not chance. It's God's love. It is God's purpose. Martin Luther said many great things, but this is one of the favorite things. I I, I love what he said. He said this, God's love has no why. When you say, why? Why would God love me? Why does God do this? Why? Luther said, there is no why. He just does. And our response to that is to praise him. Now, how do we respond to it? I think there may be some concern. There may be people who say, am I chosen? It's a good question. How would you answer that question? If you answer the question by looking at yourself saying, do I have the qualities to be chosen? You haven't got it. You haven't grasped it. If you're saying, do I have enough faith to be chosen? You haven't got it. You haven't grasped it. If you're saying, I want to belong to God. I want to belong to Jesus. I love this idea of God. I love this notion of a God who loves me and gives his son for me, and I can't see any hope for that. Then you're chosen. Why? Because the natural man can't receive that. The natural man just says, no, that can't be right. I've got to do something. That can't be right. God can't be like this. That can't be right. There must be something in me that will make God choose me, almost as opposed to other people. And God says, no. No, I, David, I didn't choose you because you've got a big mouth. I didn't choose you because you're wonderfully, stunningly good-looking. I didn't choose you because, uh, you know, you're Scottish or, you know, 101 different things. There is no reason for God to love me, but he just does. How do we respond to that? Surely the only response is love. Not love that we do because, well, if I just love God a little bit, I'll get something. Because that's not love. Love is in response to love that we've already received. We love him because he first loved us. Which is why our focus is always to be on the love of God, not on our love or even our response. Because if we get the love of God, then the response comes. And wonder, astonishment, humility, holiness, praise, and assurance. And that's why I love this doctrine. Because of the assurance that it brings. 
There are people who walk around saying, well, I can't believe in God because I don't know if I'm chosen. You haven't grasped it. There are people who walk around and they're as miserable as can be as Christians because they say, well, God chooses and, you know, it's, it really is a caricature of Rabbi Burns' poem uh, where, you know, it's God's going, right, eight to heaven and nine to hell. There are people who don't grasp and don't get that election and predestination is about being adopted. It's about being accepted. It's about being received. It's about being loved. Tim Keller tells a wonderful story of a missionary in China who's working amongst prostitutes and was teaching about God's creation and teaching about Jesus rising from the dead and teaching uh, about Christ dying on the cross for sin and all these different things and none of it was getting through. None of it was getting through. And then because he was teaching through a Bible, he thought, this is going to be difficult. He taught them about predestination and they got it. And do you know why they got it? Keller points out, is a remarkable insight. They got it because they couldn't believe that anybody would love them for, for anything in them. But when they were told that God loved them despite what was in them, not because of what was in them, that made sense. That was the only way that God could love them. And I think that's a wonderful, wonderful picture for us. And I think some of our rebellion against this doctrine is not intellectual, though there are intellectual problems. There are difficulties in reconciling sovereignty and free will, which I would hold both of those together. But I think one of our major difficulties is just simply pride. We still want to believe that there's something in us that would make God like us. And we still want to be able to go to God and say, look, I've earned this. I've done this. And God says, no. Don't you get it? I just love you. That's it. I just love you. The Son of God, says Paul, who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, this is the same Paul who says, I'm the chief of sinners. He doesn't say, Jesus loved me because. He just says, Jesus loved me. And I don't think you've got the gospel until you get that. And that's why I want to finish with uh, Romans 8. Because it also speaks of this, and we sometimes miss out some of the bits. Let's read from verse 28, page 1135, Romans 8. And you'll see how, in the light of what Paul says in Ephesians, this just makes so, so much sense. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, Romans 8:28, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who is going to bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship? or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, 
nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. It's so difficult for us to understand and grasp and to put it all into a little box and so that we are satisfied with it. But that's not what we have to do. You've given us this word not so that we can put it into a systematic theology, but you've given it to us so that we can be comforted knowing that whatever our sin, whatever our circumstances, whatever may happen, you've called us, you've chosen us. Lord, I thank you for everyone here who's not a Christian, that you've called them to hear your word today. And I pray that as they hear of the wonderful love of Jesus, that they would realize that you are calling them and that they would commit their lives to you. I pray for those of us who are Christians, who are battered and bruised and wounded and hurt and confused and angry and lonely and discouraged and depressed with an awful self-image and full of pride and maybe hatred and bitterness and so many different things. Lord, just lift our eyes to look beyond ourselves and to see that we are in Christ, that that is our identity, that we are loved with a love that is beyond our comprehension, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And that all of our days we will be drinking from this well of love that springs from the heart that you have for us, a heart that caused you to give your only begotten son. Lord, it's so difficult for us to believe how special we are because of that. We want to be special because of gifts and talents and abilities and things that we do. But we are loved and special because you are our father. And on this Father's Day, may we all be able to rejoice in that in your name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.